Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Carmen LeBurge. It is Mornings with Carmen. If it sounds a little different, it's because I am in my friend's basement broadcasting today. The power is out in uh, much of Middle Tennessee, including my house. It's been out since Friday. Uh, we had a really incredible wind event across Middle Tennessee. And um, yeah, trees are down all over the place, including the power lines where I live. So thank you, thank you, thank you to Ed and Jackie Russell, who have allowed me to convert their basement office into a makeshift studio. So um, shout out and thank you to dear, sweet Christian friends. Um, Paul Perot is on vacation, so I was just going to blame the fact that it all sounded different on Ryan Mitchell, who's sitting in producing this week. Good morning, Ryan. Good morning. You can do that if you'd like to do so. <laughs> I don't mind. You can throw it at me. That's okay. Well, and uh, and good morning to the person who texted in about 12 minutes ago and said, hey, hey, where are you? I'm hearing Chip Ingram. I'm not hearing you. Where are you? And I replied, well, where are you? Because um, we are here at exactly the right time. But if you move time zones and you tune in um, early, then you're going to hear Chip Ingram because that's who's on (laughs) before me. So good morning to a listener who normally listens in the central time zone listening today in Florida on vacation. We love that. You can take us everywhere. We love to go traveling with you. Let us know where you are uh, in the world listening this morning to Mornings with Carmen. You can text in at 877-933-2488. Eight four love to be with you each and every day. So today's growing your faith verse of the day comes from First Samuel chapter sixteen verse seven. Now the context here is um, you know the Lord choosing David and the process through which the Lord chooses David. And if you know anything about David, you know he wasn't the the oldest, the heir apparent. He wasn't the person most um, most likely to be chosen. Uh, But that's the point here of the way the Lord identifies and chooses people for particular calling. So from 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I've rejected the one who, you know, looks good and is tall. But uh, the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So um, one of the things that I learned, my mom was a communications professor, among other things that she did. Um, She was also a home economist and she had a TV show. And yeah, she's pretty great. Um, One of the things that she used to talk about was the seven judgments that people make about us in the first seven seconds when they meet us. So she had this little like seven judgments in seven seconds. And I am probably not going to get this list exactly right, but here we go. We judge a person's relative intelligence based in this in the first seven seconds that we meet them based on their overall appearance which includes their clothes their hair and their cleanliness we make a number of judgments about what comes out of their mouth their language their accent the words they use the pace at which they speak the tone and their tempo 
And we judge the way people move and carry themselves. And if we're close enough, we also judge them by their smell. Now, that doesn't even get to the judgments that we make based on style or makeup. Seven judgments in seven seconds. And we do it all unconsciously. So when the Lord is saying to Samuel, don't judge based on outward appearance, he's saying, look, I know you make seven judgments in seven seconds about every person that you meet. And what I am inviting you to do is look at people the way I look at people. Um, We make seven judgments without ever even thinking about it. So the Lord is saying to Samuel, now I want you to actually think about what you're thinking about. I want you to think about how you're thinking about what you're thinking about. And don't judge people, in particular this one person, the way um, that people judge people. Don't take the measure of the man um, by considering his height or physical appearance. That's not the measure that I'm using to judge this man or any man. So the Lord doesn't see people the way you and I see them. People judge us by our outward appearance, and we judge other people by their outward appearance. But the Lord says, look at the heart. Look at the heart. We say to ourselves, how could we do that? I can't look at someone's heart. Well, I don't know. How can I see your heart? Well, where your heart is, your money will be also. I could look at your giving, the things you invest in, um, your your charitable support. Um, How else can I see what's going on in a person's heart? Well, do they show mercy? Like, are they merciful? How about looking at the fruit of life? Is their life marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control? Or are they hateful, indifferent, despairing, anxious, impatient, rude, destructive, unreliable, abrasive, harsh, undisciplined? The Lord does not say to Samuel, don't show good judgment. The Lord does not say to Samuel, don't judge people. He says, deal with people as people. I have a particular measure I want you to use, and it's not the measure by which the world has trained you to judge others. So uh, I think this is probably also an indication of the way the Lord measures or judges us, which is a good (laughs) reflective consideration for today as well. He's looking at our heart. Let's take a little uh, time to look at our own hearts today as we're considering the day the Lord has given us to live. Our friend Dave Buring is going to join us next. We're going to talk a little bit more about connecting our work with God's purposes. Most of us spend an awful lot of our lives at work, laboring in a particular vocation. So how can we make the connection between our vocational calling and um, what Jesus has sent us in into the world to do as his ambassadors, as his great commissionaries? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Our friend Dave Burring is back from Lion Share. You can find what we're talking about today and lots of great discipleship resources at lionshare.org. Dave, good morning and welcome back. Good morning from the basement, I hear. <laughs> you know, isn't it good to have friends? It is good mm-hmm. to have friends and it's good to be flexible, right? Yeah, it's good. And, and, and now I know how many people are up in my part of town at 530 in the morning because driving <laughs> over here to my friend's house was... This is a surprising number of people awake. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, okay, so Dave, let's um this is actually one of your 
I don't know, one of your favorite areas of conversation. I hear you talk about it a lot. Um, you talk about it a lot in The Great Opportunity. It's actually what the book is about, making disciples of Jesus in every vocation. You guys can connect with The Great Opportunity and this portion of that conversation at lionshare.org. So um, let's let's just start with this. What is the connection between our vocational calling and Jesus's teaching in The Great Commission? Yeah, that's a great question. So one of the things that I've run into over the years is I have found that people who serve in their vocations, who love Jesus, are some of the best workers out there. They have the best attitudes. They're the ones that look to serve their fellow employees or their boss. But one of the things that was really interesting to me, Carmen, is to find that, and I'm not exaggerating here, somewhere between eight out of 10 and nine out of 10, people never think about making disciples amongst those they work with, or we can broaden it out. Maybe it's not those they work with, but it may be those who serve in the same vocation. They may physically work at a different place, but they serve in the same vocation. So think about it this way, business leaders or people in business with business, people in the media with media, people in government with government, uh, people who maybe have a heart for science and that's their profession or educators. And and one of the things I think that's really important in the day that we're living in is the way that we can actually see some change happen in and around us in society is by discipling people both spiritually, but also vocationally, so that as they serve where God's appointed them to serve in society, they're actually doing it more like Jesus. And I think that's part of a discipleship process that can be intentional, deliberate, and bear lots of fruit in impacting our society. Um, so an, uh, a number of years ago, you um, you asked several of your friends throughout a wide range of vocations to reflect on Jesus's model and method of, dis, uh, of discipleship and how it impacts work. Um, I wonder if maybe um, you could reflect on some of the things that you heard from your friends across a range of vocations when we come back. Sure. Be happy to. Yeah. So the model is teach, demonstrate, replicate. We're going to talk with Dave Buring about what it looks like to teach, demonstrate, and then replicate the model of Jesus in our vocation. So what is your vocation? Sort of like what is the, uh, you know, I work in what we might think of as, as media. Um, maybe we think of it as ministry. Um, maybe you are working in government. Maybe you are working in the sphere of education or sports. What is your sort of sphere, vocational sphere, and how are you discipling other people in that particular vocational sphere? Um, there is a connection. God wants there to be this connection between your vocational calling and Jesus' teaching in the Great Commission. We're going to continue this conversation um, about the Great Opportunity with Dave Buring up next here on Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Life is short, I want to live it well One life, one story to tell Life is 
Dave Buring is with us again this morning from lionshare.org. We are talking about connecting our work with God's purposes. Um, The Great Opportunity is Dave's book on this topic, Making Disciples of Jesus in Every Vocation. But Dave, at um, lionshare.org, I can actually download a free resource um, um, on this topic where you include these, um, you know, these 30 or responses from 30 of your friends, um, on this topic. And I was just wondering if you could, um, share a little bit of what you heard back and is, is chronicled in connecting your work to God's purposes, which is an ebook you guys can download for free right now at lionshare.org. Yeah. I, when I started writing the book, it was one of the things I wanted to do is collect stories from my friends and things that they had experienced as it related to their vocation. So for example, uh, my friend, John, who is a cardiologist, lovely man, a hard worker, probably one of the smartest people I have ever met. And years ago, as we were having a conversation, he said to me, Dave, I know that I'm good at what I do, but I tend to find body parts laying around because of the way I treat my relationships. He said, I don't know how to be as good of a relator as I would like to be. And now this man, after somebody took the time to disciple him in how do you relate to people like Jesus does, and just taking the scriptures and looking at things like Romans 12 that talks about outdo one another and showing honor and the numerous places of love and what does that look like. And, And now this man, years later, he still is a task first guy because that's how he's made, but he relates to people well. And matter of fact, if you happen to have your chest opened up to have heart surgery by him, he'll come and check on you, not only to see how you're doing physically, but to ask some questions about your heart spiritually and pray with you. Transformation that happened that impacted his vocation as he was discipled in some things. I, I think of um, another friend of mine who served for years in business And when they were struggling with some things, I suggested to him that, hey, you know that as a guy that has been a pastor, a missions leader, I have prayer teams. Like, hey, I have a prayer team that regularly prays for me. As a business leader, do you have a prayer team? And he looked at me, you know, like I had three heads. And I said, well, just consider people in your life that are real prayers and ask them to be your prayer team. Matter of fact, just last week, I received a a note for me just copies me on what he calls his prayer board. And for about a decade now, he's had a prayer team that he can send out things to and say, hey, would you guys join me in prayer? And so again, it, it, thinking differently as a disciple of Jesus in the lens of your vocation, because you've been discipled in some ways that lets you think differently. One of the ones that I appreciate, um, and lots of folks listening right now in Minnesota are going to recognize the name uh, John Blue, played hockey at the University of Minnesota and then for the U.S. um, Olympic team. And um, his is the second you know, testimony um, in in the book. And, you know, he talks about how as an athlete, his whole life consists of learning the fundamentals of his sport um, and that the same things that he was taught growing up as a kid and first learned about hockey, like those are still still the things as a professional athlete, um, you know, those foundational practices um, just getting better and better and better and better and better. And then he lifts up um, Paul saying to Timothy, um, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ and this principle of um, imita- imitating 
um, mm-hmm. people who are more mature than us in the faith. Um, that is a, a huge part of what I see you encouraging all of us to do. So can you talk about the teach, demonstrate, replicate model? Because that's yeah. really in our vocational callings, like what what we're holding out there as sort of the way of of discipling others. Yeah. And it's fun that you bring up John um, Carmenite. So I met him when he was about 13 while I was speaking at a youth camp in California. And he told me he wanted to be a hockey player. And I'm thinking, dude, you live in California. What do you? But he would play goalie against the men in men's leagues. So he got a great head start. And now he's a pastor. So get this. He told me playing hockey for many years prepared me to be a pastor. <laughs> so, so yeah, because all those people blind check you up against the exactly. wall. That's exactly what's going on. That's exactly right. So so teach, demonstrate, replicate. It's it's just a simple little phrase that we use to help people practically think about how do I take what I know and pass it on to somebody else. So teach is the idea of helping somebody being able to understand it. This might be over a cup of coffee. It could be on the job in your office, in the warehouse, wherever. But it's it's helping to make sure somebody actually comprehends and understands what it is that they're to be doing. Demonstrate is modeling it for them. Show them how. We got to always remember that that some people are not uh, well, let me put it this way. Some people are better at learning when they see it, they observe it. And so there's a demonstration piece of this thing where you actually show them. We make a lot of assumptions, Carmen, like I think of, of people teaching Sunday school classes and how oftentimes it's like, okay, hey, I'm out, you're in. And we just hand them the curriculum and we're out and we've never shown them how to do it. And they struggle for a while. And so therefore the kids don't get this, the best. And so you can do this kind of thing by teaching the new person how to do it, have them sit in your class for several weeks, demonstrate, let them watch you do it. And then you can do the third piece here, have them replicate it in front of you. Okay, hey, you've watched me for three, four weeks. You got the class next week. You do it and then we'll talk afterwards. And you have them replicated in front of you so you can just kind of encourage them and coach them up a little bit. I, I did this actually, Carmen, as a high school football coach. I was a defensive coordinator for a high school football team and we had to relearn tackling and I would teach them. So I would have them sit down in front of me. We talk it through why you do hit, then wrap, then drive. And then I would demonstrate it for them. And I would show them, I'd place my head with a helmet on where it needed to go. I'd wrap my arms where the arms need, and I would drive them backwards. I wouldn't do a full tackling. I just, they'd be standing there and I would show them how, then I would have them replicate it with each other. And then you would speed it up in in practice so that boom 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 and all of a sudden we became the best tackling team we won a championship and but i use the same principle that i use spiritually to help people grow on the football field and so teach them to understand demonstrate so they actually see what it looks like and you're modeling it for them then have them replicated in front of you so you can encourage them and coach them up that's so good. Um, and, and we can do this in every vocation. We're called to do this. We spend a lot of time, um, you know, in our vocational calling. So, uh, you know, if today you are, um, working as a chef in a restaurant, maybe today you are mm. working as an educator, maybe you are a nurse. 
Um, maybe you are a pastor. <laughs> there are um, all kinds of environments uh, in which we are called to labor. We spend a lot of time in our vocational callings, and that is the place to which God has sent you today uh, to bear out his kingdom witness and influence, but also to disciple someone else, to actually make a disciple. So look around, look around in your work environment, in your vocational sphere, and say to yourself, hmm, I wonder who in this environment God is calling me to um, to teach, to demonstrate, um, to demonstrate his will and his working, his character and his ways in order that these things might be replicated in their life as well. Which, Dave, leads us to, like, how do I find who to disciple in my vocational environment? How do I find yeah, that person? That's a great question. So here's here's what I encourage people to do, Carmen, is first, you just begin to pray and that God would surface them. And, you know, so you can look at this in two ways. So, you know, discipleship is taking people who are followers of Jesus and growing them further. All right. So first begin with like, who are people of faith? They maybe already love Jesus, but nobody's ever come alongside of them to, to disciple them, to pour the things of God into their life. Well, there's resources that we have that can help you with that, but it's, but just know it's like, Pray that those people surface and they they might love Jesus, but nobody's ever really helped them grow deeper or spiritually mature. They've stayed like a kindergartner in the Lord instead of becoming a young adult and an adult. So look at that. And then also those that don't know the Lord, this might not be full on discipleship, but it's I call it pre-discipleship. And you start walking alongside of them. And what they notice is the way that you're relating to them, number one. And number two, that the way that you're showing them how to do things through teach, demonstrate, replicate begins to be transforming in their lives. They want to know, where are you getting this stuff? And you have an opportunity to live and share the life of Jesus with them. So I think that's two practical ways to look at it. Yeah, that's really helpful. Um, Dave, as always, thank you so much for joining us. You guys can connect with Dave Buring at lionshare.org, the resources we've been talking about today. You can check out the great opportunity, Making Disciples of Jesus in Every Vocation. There's also a free downloadable ebook called Connecting Your Work to God's Purposes. You can find it all at lionshare.org. I'll put the links in the show notes today. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right. I don't know about you, but I've begun seeing uh, announcements about endorsements. Who's going to endorse whom? Um, who's not going to endorse whom? Who's withholding their endorsement? You know, what is an endorsement when it comes to people? You know, you're going to hear a lot about endorsements related to the 2024 election cycle, particularly when it comes to those who are putting themselves forward to serve as president of the United States of America. So I thought it might be helpful just for a moment, just for a moment, let's pause and consider the way God the Father endorses Jesus Christ, his son. <laughs> let's just think about that for just a second. So where are the times, um, the places that you you hear God say, well, actually, you know, you see God like pull back the edges of heaven and announce from on high, this is my son, my beloved, listen to him. 
uh, or the time. Um, so, so I guess I'm thinking about the baptism of Jesus where the Holy spirit descends as a dove and alights on Christ. Um, and you know, it's affirmed that Jesus is the very son of God. That's a very powerful endorsement. Um, and then there's, you know, the one that happens on the mountain of transfiguration where, you know, Peter is, uh, inclined to, to, to build some houses of worship. God's like, this is my son, my beloved, listen to him. Um, that's a very, very powerful and strong endorsement. Um, the Holy spirit of the living God has descended upon you and dwells within you. That's a very powerful endorsement. Don't, um, don't lose sight of it. Don't let go of it. Don't waste it. I also thought it would be good for us to consider what Paul says about endorsements. So there is this place in second Corinthians chapter three, where, um, where Paul is saying, you know, look at us, look at the fruit of our ministry, look at our labor. Um, and then look at yourselves because you're really all the endorsement we need. We don't, we don't need letters signed, signed by somebody that says, Hey, I'm so-and-so and I endorse this ministry. Paul says, look at yourselves. Like you are all the endorsement we need. Second Corinthians chapter three, verses two to four. You yourselves are all the endorsement we need. Your very lives are a letter that anybody can read just by looking at you. Christ himself wrote the endorsement, not with ink but with God's living spirit, not chiseled into stone, but carved into human hearts, into human lives. And we publish it. We couldn't be more sure of ourselves or more confident in this, that you, written by Christ himself for God, you are our letter of recommendation. So, um, you know, let's be wary of recommendations and endorsements that are published in print and online in the coming uh, days, weeks, months, and, and years. And, and let's seek to look for the endorsement that Christ has written on human hearts, lived out in the world that he so loves. We ought to be able to just look at the letter of someone's life. Um, and that should be endorsement enough. Adam Carrington is going to join us next from Hillsdale College. We're going to look at some of the political headlines and bring the mind of Christ to bear what's the uh supreme court been up to of late um and then i got a little something um that i heard senator tim scott say about Dion sanders and i thought well that might be a fun conversation for adam carrington to reflect upon all of that up next here on mornings with carmen Dr. Adam Carrington is back. You can uh, find him on Twitter at Carrington AM. You can also find him at Hillsdale College. You can find some things that he is writing around the web. One of those is uh, currently posted at realclearpublicaffairs.com. Would the founders approve of our class divisions? Um, Dr. Carrington, read us in on, on this conversation. Would the founders approve of our class divisions? I think that the founders and, and particularly what I was thinking of is that we are being more and more, the research is showing we're being more and more stratified by differences in education. So the college degrees versus non-college degrees, and that there's been a sorting in a partisan way 
and to a degree that we have not seen maybe ever between those two groups, but that even before we had serious divisions that linger based on economic class, rich, poor, middle class. And uh, what I was trying to argue there is we, we often think that America tried to leave those all of those things behind in having a government of, by, and for the people and that those class divisions were meant to be overcome in that kind of, of, of government. And to a degree, I think they were right that that's what the founders were trying to do. But I think the founders were aware enough of human nature to know that when you have a different experience or you're coming from a different perspective, that our own fallibility and sin nature will make us um, sometimes uh, uh, be condescending toward or envious of uh, those who come from a different position or a different background. And so what they tried to do was recognize that some of those differences, including, I think, an educational difference and, and, and the good and bad that comes with that, weren't going away. And that if we weren't aware of them, we could end up uh, exacerbating um, our, our own internal partisanships and, and, and battles. And so what they sought to do was, I think, channel those differences so that we have to talk to each other, channel them so we have to deliberate with each other and try to make the final outcome of lawmaking. That's why Congress is put the way it is um, and, and, and our legislatures and federalism and all these things are meant to drive us to deliberate and have to talk to each other to get things done. And therefore to make it so that even if we don't get rid of our divisions, we, we have to work with, you, with each other through them. That forces us to recognize each other's humanity. That forces us to recognize what might be in the best interest of everyone, not just our own you know, degree level or part of the country we live in or economic class. So, uh, yeah, I, I think what they would think of them is, yeah, that's human nature. It's, it's dangerous, but it's also something that we can work with to try to make a, a better life. I, that's what I love about the Constitution and the American founders. It's not that they didn't believe things could get better or be decent, uh, but they didn't think that that could be done by eradicating human nature. You had to work with it and its imperfections. Yeah, and the processes that they developed actually, as you know, like force us to work with each other across all kinds of divisions and differences, um, providing equal protection and even a privileged um, you know, opportunity for what would be considered minority voices in, in terms of, you know, majority, minority, just number numbers. I'm not talking there about any, um, you know, particular way that a group might be considered a minority. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's really good. Um, thank you for your your reflections on it. Um, I think that anytime we find a way to invite people to get together um, you know, in a conversation or at a common table uh, to to consider the challenges that we all face together. And we do so with people who are different than us in in many, many ways. Um, you know, we're going to be better for it. So that yeah, so thank you. It's a good contribution to the conversation. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. If I could add just one quick thing. If, if people want to read uh, Federalist 10, the Federalist Papers that defended it, Madison comes in and says, Actually, our diversity is a good thing because there's no such thing as a homogenous majority in the in America where one group of people share basically every relevant characteristic. 
which means any majority has to be a coalition of unlike people. And when it's a coalition of unlike people, you have to get back to what can we do? We can't be sectarian and go after people for a particular trait. We have to ask what's human and what's common and therefore what's for the good of, of people as persons. So I think that's part of the wisdom that's in here as well. I love to teach that to my students. All right. If you don't have a classical education and you've never read the Federalist Papers, Federalist 10 is a good one. Uh, we're teeing up this morning. So thank you, Adam, for that. Um, let's talk about what uh, has been happening at the Supreme Court and what still lies ahead. Uh, the Supreme Court has been hearing arguments around President Biden's student loan forgiveness effort. You know, where where are we now on that topic? Yeah, and here's where I think we have to distinguish what's being argued in the public sphere versus what's being argued at court. <laughs> so in the public sphere, we're arguing about, is this fair? Uh, should the taxpayers have to bear the burden of forgiving these debts? Or did the students have to pay because they, they said they would? Or were the students being preyed upon by bad policies and, and predatory uh, 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 pitches and things like that? That's not what the court is talking about, even though those are legitimate things to debate in the public sphere. What they are asking is President Biden did this unilaterally or his administration did and claim that it was legitimate under a previous law that was passed back in, I believe it was 2002, the HEROES Act, it's called. And the contention on the other side is no. That law doesn't permit the president to make this action. And so what it really is, is a, is a question of in interpreting the laws Congress has passed, how do you determine when a president is doing his constitutionally mandated job of executing the laws, enforcing the laws? And when is he going outside of it and trying to make the laws himself? And so it's really ultimately a separation of powers issue. And that matters because whether this is a good idea or a bad idea, our system sets up that the people's representatives and the lawmaking branch are supposed to be able to, again, based on what we were saying in, in, in the last set of questions, deliberate together, discuss, consult the people, and then make a decision together as to what's the best idea. So what it looks like, based on the oral arguments, is the court is pretty skeptical of the Biden administration plan, but again, not because they're trying to decide whether it's just or unjust, but they're very skeptical that the Biden administration isn't stretching um, the, the, the law that it's trying to claim it can do this based off of, and that this isn't actually just a job for Congress. So that's what I would caution in looking at this debate. The public debate and this legal debate are actually two different things. I think the Biden administration is likely, it looks like, to lose the, the court battle. But then really the question then becomes, should Congress do something about this? And I think the court will signal in their opinion, if they go against the Biden administration, that Congress is welcome to do this probably, uh, but that it just needs to be the right branch and the right process under our Constitution. That is so helpful. Um, sometimes, in fact, oftentimes, the things that we're arguing about in public are not the things that are being argued um, in the courtroom. And so lifting that up this morning is really particularly helpful. We're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Adam Carrington here in just a moment. He is going to explain to us. <clears throat> I'm, 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 I'm promising this in advance, Adam. Uh, he is going to explain to us the Internet and Section 230 
and why we should care um, about what is going on online and who is liable for content, particularly when it provokes people to do evil. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Listen to Faith Radio live or on demand no matter where you go. Download the free Faith Radio app at your app store today. This is my victory song. Sing it all day long no matter what they come up. All right, not that um, right now we are uh, broadcasting this on YouTube, but if we were, if we were, who would be responsible for the content? Who would be responsible for the content and who would be responsible for um, the actions that a particular person might take in response to uploaded content. That is a part of the conversation that we're seeking to unpack. Dr. Adam Carrington is with us from Hillsdale College. We're talking about Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. It was passed in 1996, which if you think about um, how much has changed in terms of the internet and certainly social media, um, our ability to capture video and rebroadcast it um, even as training material or recruitment material what that looks like what it provokes Um, the landscape has changed a lot since 1996 Um, is section 230 up to the task so the supreme court is hearing a case related to this or cases related to this Um, adam uh, read us in on what's going on here and you were right to say before that, the, or at least intimate that this is a complicated issue when you really get to it. The Section 230 has been called the 26 words that created the Internet. So the idea being that the way we do the Internet now, uh, where a lot of it is platforms that are created like Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, where uh, they create the platform, you know, a, a company, and then we third parties share information that people can look for and find themselves. That uh, the fact the that was set up in a way where, um, on one hand, those those platforms have a lot of protection against liability for what you or I put up on the internet, put up on their platform. They're really we tend to be held liable, not them. The other is it gives them at least some ability to edit that content themselves if they really want to, but uh, only if they want to. So where where this comes up in the case now is, uh, in addition to that, you have a lot of these platforms will do algorithms where they will recommend content. And there's not a person sitting there looking at what you're watching and then giving you suggestions it's a kind of computer program which i certainly can't explain i don't have that brain power uh but that 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 will look at what you've looked at already so if you're looking at a bunch of cooking videos we'll recommend more cooking videos but what happened was um in in they found that in in certain terrible terrorist attacks by isis in 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 france in 2015 there were people that were sharing uh terrorist videos that the algorithms just naturally then recommended more to them and the idea was the uh, the family of a woman who was tragically killed in one of these attacks is suing and saying those algorithms were aiding and abetting terrorism uh and and so obviously that particular question is not going to envelop a lot of the rest of our lives hopefully and thankfully 
but the larger question and getting at it, are they are these platforms liable like google and twitter are the two ones that are under the gun here is the larger question of um this thing some people uh, call big tech how how much should they be regulated by the government uh because this this law of section 230 doesn't really give them much regulation and to what degree should p individuals be able to sue them to be responsible for what people post and so uh, uh that that's important because on one side the good of the internet is how free it is in sharing content uh the bad of the internet is how free it is in sharing content <laughs> And so what I think we're trying to ask is, does this law from 1996 adequately balance those those issues? And where the court was really struggling was on this particular question, how do you draw the line in a clear way that a court could decide? Uh, because it, it seems that um, if you go too far in letting companies be liable for stuff that they only have little to no control over and make them responsible for it, you may get massive censorship by Google, by Twitter, by Facebook, way beyond anything we've seen to this degree of any content they think they could ever get sued for, which could include a lot of religious content, uh, a lot of uh, political content that may be reason you know perfectly uh, uh out of the mainstream but perfectly reasonable to make uh that's the worry on that side on the other side though is do we have a responsibility for especially on the extreme fringes protecting children protecting against content that may lead genuinely to violence like terrorist videos and so that's what the court's struggling with and they're struggling with whether section 230 adequately draws that line and you're right given that it's now a couple decades old and the internet has really developed uh but what it looks like with this case is the court's going to tell congress uh you probably like with the other case the biden loan case you need to clarify if you think something more needs to be done on this but hopefully the court case will cause congress to maybe take up that issue and see if 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 the internet really is being uh, served by this old law or not all right. And then quickly, we got a couple of minutes here to talk about this story related to Deion Sanders, who is now the coach of the University of Colorado Buffaloes um, and uh, his behavior as a believer in relationship to um, prayer and desiring to lead people to Jesus. Um, and then the way Senator Tim Scott has um, commented on this uh, in public. One of the reasons, um, Adam, that I want to lift this up is um, I'm I'm increasingly aware of the power and influence that African-American men have in the culture today, um, particularly men of faith who across a number of vocations are willing to press forward and say, I'm a Christian, and that influences how I do my job. So can you just brief us in on this case? Right. So uh, Deion Sanders, uh, who bo actually played both Major League Baseball and professional football, a rarity, uh, so quite an extraordinary athlete. He, uh, in taking over at Colorado as a professing Christian, we has uh, certain practices of prayer, uh, makes lots of uh, Christian references in, in his uh, public remarks. And so the question is, since Colorado is a public university and therefore he is a 
a, a state official by the definition of the law, what is he allowed and not allowed to say legally? So that's the legal part. And I think that there's some parsing there. Think about the the coach that prayed at the 50-yard line, That the case that came out last year for the Supreme Court. I think people are parsing that one to see what is he legally allowed to do. But it's clear from what the court has said that he does have at least some reasonable room to express his faith, to allow others in the locker room to join him in those expressions of faith, praying, to talk with students as, and athletes as long as he's not coercing them, to guide them spiritually. And I think, as you said, that given that groundwork, that's a good thing and a permissible thing. It's not just permitted by the Constitution, but it's a good thing. And uh, I think that uh, while we need to work out the details of what exactly he's doing or or the school does, um, I think the idea that uh, uh, adult male mentors to uh, these student athletes uh, sometimes is in short supply and that this could really be a very good thing for, for, for the men involved and that we need to support ways in which that can be done in a broader sphere and support how he could be a role model for others in doing this well. Yeah, I um I'm there's some guys I'm watching. Tim Scott's one of them, Deion Sanders is one of them, Eric Adams is one of them. Like I I um I have this like rising uh appreciation for the way God is um not only positioning, but then really like encouraging to open their mouths in very profound ways. These men of faith who are, um, you know, who happen to all be African-American um, and are young and vibrant. And I, they're just I just think they're just these shining examples in the culture today um, of what it looks yeah. like to be a Christian in, uh, across a number of vocations. So I'm just and, I want to celebrate and it and fan the flame every time I can. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I will say I have an article up this morning in Washington Examiner defending Mayor Adams comments recently about the need oh. for God and and discussion. It went up about an hour and a half ago. So if people would like to hear Fantastic. a little more, at least what I said, I'll post that myself and and uh, encourage people to engage with it. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. All right, we're gonna um, we're gonna watch for that at Adam Carrington's Twitter feed, and then I'll drop it in the show notes uh, today. Um, you can follow Adam on Twitter at Carrington.am. Adam, as always, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure, and and really appreciate the forum. This is for good Christian civil conversation. Uh, it's really a service, I think, to the church and to the country. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, all right. We got to take a very, very brief break. And then um, the end of the hour. In fact, we probably should probably just say the end of the hour is now. We got another hour up next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.